0: Chapter Twenty-Four of the Marquis de Vilmer. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Marquis de Vilmer by George Sand Translated by Ralph Keeler. Chapter Twenty-Four Justine followed Caroline, who had escaped to her own room, and made signs to Pellec that he should receive the Marquis and be self-possessed. Pelac was equal to the emergency, He received Monsieur de Vilmer with the calm dignity of a man who has the most rigid ideas of duty. It was no longer a question of putting him in communication with the pretended Charlotte. It was necessary to get him away before any suspicion arose in his mind, or, in case they had already arisen, to dispel them at once. From the first words of the Marquis, Pérec saw that he suspected nothing. Desirous to set out again in a few days with his son, whom he intended to keep nearer to himself in future, he had made the most of a fine morning to come on foot and repay this debt of gratitude to some generous stranger. He had not supposed the distance so great, and was, therefore, a little late in arriving. He confessed he was somewhat tired, and, in point of fact, his face betrayed both weariness and suffering. Pérec hastened to offer him food and drink, the duties of hospitality preceding everything, He called Justine, who had by this time regained her composure, and they waited upon Monsieur de Villemare, who, catching at this opportunity of rewarding his entertainers generously, accepted their services with a good grace. He learned with regret that Charlotte had gone away, but there was no reason why he should ask many questions about her. He thought of leaving a present for her, which Justine, in a low tone, advised her husband to accept, that he might not be surprised in anything. Caroline would readily find a chance to send it back. Pellek did not see the necessity. His pride revolted at the idea of seeming to accept money on her account. Caroline, in her little chamber, overheard this strife on a point of delicacy. The voice of the Marquis sent shudders through her. She dared not stir. It seemed as if Monsieur de Villemare would recognize her footfall through the flooring. He, for his part, hoping to find a way of discharging his obligations under some different form, pretended and really tried to eat a little and after this inquired whether he could hire a horse to return with. The night was dark, and the rain came on again. Peyrec agreed to carry him back and went out to get his wagon ready. But first he climbed up softly to Caroline's room. "'This poor gentleman makes me uneasy,' he said in a low voice. "'He is very ill, that I am sure of. You can see drops of sweat on his forehead, and yet he creeps up to the fire like a man with a fever chill.' He could not swallow two morsels, and when he breathes hard, it seems to affect his heart like a spasm, for he puts his hand there, smiling bravely all the while, but afterwards carrying it to his head, as one does in severe pain. "'Heavens!' explained Caroline in alarm. "'When he is ill, it is so dangerous. You must not carry him back tonight. Your wagon is not easy. And then the bad roads and the cold and this rain and his fever—' No, no, he must stay here tonight. But where, pray? He would rather sleep out of doors than at the inn, which is so untidy. There is only one way. Keep him from going. Keep him here. Give him my room. I will gather up my things. It will not take long, and I will go to your daughter-in-law's. With my son's wife, or in the village, you will be too near. If it should happen to be a little worse in the night, you would come in spite of yourself and take care of him that is true. What shall I do? Do you want me to say? Well, you have courage and health. I will take you to Lausanne, where you can pass the night with my sister-in-law. It is as neat there as it is here, and tomorrow, after he goes, I will come for you. Yes, yes, you are right, said Caroline, doing up her bundle hastily. Make him agree to stay, and tell your son as you go by to harness Mignon. No, not Mignon. He has been traveling all day. We must take the mule. Pérec, having given his orders, returned to tell the Marquis the rain had set in for the whole evening, which was indeed true, and giving Justine a significant glance, he urged him to stay so cordially that Monsieur de Villemare consented. You are right, my friends, he said with his heartbroken smile. I am somewhat ill, and I am one of those who have no right to wish for death. "'No one has that right,' replied Perec. "'but you will not be dangerously sick here with us, I assure you. "'My wife will take good care of you. "'The chamber up above is very clean and warm, "'and if you get worse, you have only to knock lightly. "'Just once, we shall hear it.' "'Justine went upstairs to prepare his room "'and embrace poor Caroline, who was really dismayed. "'What?' said Caroline, speaking very low. "'I know he is sick.' and I am going to desert him in this way. No, I was mad. I will stay. But that is just what Pehrac will never let you do, replied Justine. Pehrac is stern, but what would you? Perhaps he is right. If you take pity on one another now, you will never be able to part again. And then, for myself, I am sure you would never do anything wrong. But the mother... And then think what other people might say. Caroline would not listen. Peyrec went upstairs, took her hand with an air of authority, and made her come down. She had put her poor heart under the guidance of this Protestant of the Savenez. There was no longer any way of drawing back. He led her out to the carriage and put in her bundle. At this moment, Caroline, who had really lost her senses, escaped from his grasp, darted into the house through the kitchen door, and caught sight of Monsieur de Vilmer, who was seated with his back toward her. She went no farther. Her reason returned, and then his appearance reassured her a little. He had not that bruised, broken-down aspect she had seen him wear on the night of his former attack. He was sitting before the fire, reading in Palak's Bible. The little iron lamp hanging from the mantelpiece threw its light on his black hair, wavy like his son's, and partly also on his clear, strong forehead. Monsieur de Villemer was doubtless suffering much, but he still wished to live. He had not lost hope. "'Here I am,' said Caroline, returning to Pairach. "'He didn't see me, and I have seen him. "'I am more at ease. "'Let us start. "'But you must promise on your honor,' added she, "'as she drew near the step of the carriage, "'that if he is taken to-night with suffocation, "'you will come for me, at whatever damage to your horse. "'It must be done, do you see? "'No one else knows what this sick man needs in way of care, "'and you—' You would see him die in your own house, and you would have it on your conscience for ever. Peyrec promised, and they set out. The weather was dreadful, and the road frightful, but Pérec knew every one of its holes and its stones. Besides, the distance was short. He left Caroline at the house of his sister-in-law, and had reached home again by eleven o'clock. The Marquis was feeling better. He had gone to lie down after having chatted with Justine in such a friendly way that she was delighted. Do you see, Pérec, this man, she said, he has a good heart, like hers. I can understand it perfectly myself. Stop talking now, said Pérec, who knew the thinness of the flooring. If he is asleep, we ought to sleep too. At L'Entouillac, the night passed in absolute quiet. The Marquis actually rested, and at two o'clock awoke, having shaken off the fever. He felt imbued with a pleasant calm, such as he had not known for a long time, and he attributed this to some sweet dream that he had forgotten though its impression remained unwilling to awaken his host he kept still gazing at the four walls of the little chamber brightly lighted by his lamp and grasping the facts of his position more positively than he had done before since caroline's departure he had debated a thousand extreme measures then he had said to himself that his first duty was to his son and the sight of this child had given him the force of will he needed to resist the physical disease which now began to threaten him anew. Within twenty-four hours, he had fixed upon a definite plan. He would take Didier to Madame Aubert, leaving with her a letter for Caroline, and then quit France for some time, so that Mademoiselle de saint Genet, reassured by his absence, might return to be near her sister in In the course of a few quiet weeks, the Marchioness would perhaps get further information, or perhaps her secret would be discovered by the Duke, who had sworn he would draw it from her by surprise. If the Duke failed, Urbain was not at the end of his resources. He would come back quietly to the castle of Mauve where his mother was to pass the summer with her daughter-in-law, and he would not let Caroline know of his return, until he had cleared her in his mother's estimation, and thus again smoothed away every difficulty. The most important and the most urgent thing, then, was to draw Mademoiselle Saint Genet from her mysterious hiding place. The Marquis still thought she was in some Parisian convent. He found himself compelled to stay a few days longer in Polignac, to make sure of Madame Roquebert's complete recovery, before grieving her by taking away his son, and this delay had fretted him more than anything else. To cheat his impatience, he asked himself why he should not write to Madame Aubert at once, and to Caroline also, that they might be prepared to rejoin each other after his departure for a foreign land. By this means he would perhaps gain a few days— he could mail the letter at once, as he would pass through Le Puy on his return to Polignac. What gave him the idea of writing from L'Entriac was mainly the site of the little bureau, where Caroline had left pens, some ink and in a cup, and a few stray sheets of paper. These objects, on which his gaze fastened mechanically, seemed inviting him to follow his inspiration. He rose noiselessly, put the lamp on the table, and wrote to Caroline. My friend, my sister... You will not desert an unhappy man who, for a year past, has centered in you the hopes of his life. Caroline, do not mistake my meaning. I have a favor to ask of you which you cannot refuse. I am going away. I have a son who has no mother. I love him devotedly. I entrust him to you. Come back. As for myself, I go to England. You shall never see me again if you have lost faith in me. But that is impossible. When have I been unworthy of your esteem, Caroline? The Marquis stopped abruptly. An object of little importance had caught his eye. The ordinary paper, the steel pens, had no peculiarities. But one black bead lay on the table between his hand and the inkstand, a trifle insignificant in itself, but one bringing with it a whole world of memories. It was a bit of jet, cut and perforated in a certain unusual fashion. It was part of a valueless bracelet Caroline had worn at Saval, which he easily recognized because she used to take it off whenever she wrote, and he had himself formed a habit of toying with this bracelet while talking to her. He had handled it a hundred times, and one day she had said to him, "'Pray, don't break it. It is all I have left from my mother's jewel box.' He had looked at it respectfully and held it lovingly in his hands. Just as she was on the point of quitting her little room in L'Entreac, Caroline, in her precipitation, had broken the bracelet. She had picked up the beads hastily, leaving behind this one. This black bead reversed all the ideas of the Marquis. But what kind of dreaming was this? These cut jets might be an industrial product of the country he was then in. Nevertheless, he sat motionless, absorbed in new surmises. He breathed and questioned the vague perfume of the room. He looked everywhere without moving from his chair. There was nothing on the walls, nothing on the table, nothing on the mantel. Finally, he became aware of some bits of paper in the fireplace which were not completely charred. He bent over the ashes, searched minutely, and found one single fragment of an address— only two syllables which were legible. One, written by hand, was the last in the word l'entriac, the other, am, forming part of the postmark. The postmark was that of Etamp. the handwriting that of Madame haute There could be no longer a doubt. Charlotte was no one but Caroline, and perhaps she had never gone away. Perhaps she was still in the house." From that moment the Marquis had the cunning, the watchfulness, the coolness, and the keen perception of a savage. He discovered the pipe from the little spring leading down to the sink below. The pipe itself was stopped up, but there was more than one fissure in the plaster which surrounded it. He put his ear down to it closely and caught Palak's long, even breathing as he lay yet asleep. Not a word, though spoken ever so low, could then escape him. In a few moments, he distinctly heard Justine rise, uttering the words, "'Come, get up, Perec Perhaps poor Caroline has not been sleeping as well as we have.' "'A night is a night,' said Perec "'Besides, I can't go for her till after he has gone away.' Justine listened in reply. "'He doesn't stir, but he said he should get up at daybreak. Daylight isn't far off now. He means to go away without taking anything. He said so. It is all the same.' rejoined Peylac, who had now risen and whose voice was even more audible, though he spoke quite low. I don't want him to set out on foot. It is too far. The lad shall saddle my horse, and when I have seen him fairly off, I will start for Luson. Monsieur de Villemare had made sure. He stirred a little to show he was up and went downstairs after having slipped his purse into the bureau drawer. He seemed very impatient to get back to Polignac and declaring he felt perfectly strong, obstinately refused the horse, it would have been an encumbrance in the war of observation he was about to wage. He shook hands cordially with his entertainers and set out, but on the borders of the village, having inquired about the road of a passer-by, he changed his course, plunging into a byway that led to Lausanne. He thought he could arrive there in advance of Pelec, wait for him stealthily, and see him take Caroline back when he had made sure of her return to Lantriac, he would lay his plans further. Until then, being quite aware she was trying to escape him, he would not risk losing track of her again. But Péirac was very expeditious. Mignon traveled fast in spite of the roads, which grew worse and worse, forming one unbroken ascent in the direction of Luson, and crossing more than one mountain declivity. The by-path cut off the angles of the main road but slightly, "'and the Marquis was distanced by the rustic equipage. "'He saw it pass and recognized Pellack, "'who, for his part, thought he distinguished in the morning fog "'a man who was not in peasant garb "'and who quickly retreated behind an embanking wall of rough stones. "'Pellack was suspicious. "'Very likely,' he thought. "'He has been fooling us. "'Or he has found out something. "'Well, if it is he, and if he is no more of an invalid than that,' I WILL CURE HIM OF TRYING TO FOLLOW A MOUNTAIN HORSE ON FOOT. HE URGED Mignon FORWARD AND ARRIVED AT LUSSAN WITH THE FIRST RAYS OF THE SUN. CAROLINE, IN DEADLY ANXIETY, AFTER A cruelly SLEEPLESS NIGHT, CAME OUT TO MEET HIM. ALL IS GOING WELL, SAID HE. I WAS MISTAKEN YESTERDAY. HE IS NOT SO VERY ILL, FOR HE SLEPT WELL AND WOULD RETURN ON FOOT. "'So he is gone,' replied Caroline, climbing to her seat by Perak. "'He never suspected anything, then, and I shall never see him again?' "'Well, so much the better,' and she burst into tears under her hood, which she pulled over her face in vain. Perak heard her sob as if her heart would break. "'So you are the one going to be sick now,' he said in a tone of paternal severity. "'Come,' Be reasonable, or your Pellac will never believe you when you tell him you are a Christian. So long as I do not weep before him, can you not excuse one moment of weakness in me? But what are you doing? Why are we going on toward Lausanne? Pellac thought he again caught sight of the Marquis, still creeping onward. You must excuse me, said he, but I have an errand to do in the village. It is quite near. He entered the village, shrewdly thinking that the Marquis would still keep himself in sight at a distance. He went up the street and exchanged a few words with one of the townspeople. Pretext could not fail to be at hand. Then, returning to Caroline, he said, "'You see, my daughter, you have too much on your mind. I want to revive your spirits. You know, an excursion always does you good. Would you like to have me take you on one? Oh, a very pleasant one. If you have business anywhere, I don't want to incommode you. I will go wherever you'd like.' "'I shall have to go to the foot of Mezanc, to the village of Estable. "'It is a beautiful place, really, "'and you have been longing to see the grandest of the Savenees. "'You said it would be hard traveling over there until after next month. "'Bless me, why, the weather is cloudy, to be sure, "'and perhaps the roads are a little damaged. "'I haven't passed over them since last year, "'but they have been worked upon, as I have heard, "'and besides, you know with me there is no danger.' I assure you, I am in no mood to worry about danger. Let us set out. Pellac hurried on his horse, which soon crossed the boundaries of Lausanne and bravely descended the rocky hill, climbing the other slope again without delay, and even more rapidly. When they had reached the top, Pellac turned around, saw no one in the paths behind him, and looked at the road ahead, which was taking on a discouraging aspect. You are going to see a wilderness, said he, but that needn't annoy you, need it. No, no, replied she. When we are desperate, we cease to be annoyed. Perak went on, not without warning his companion repeatedly, that the sun might not be disposed to shine, and that they had four leagues to go, and that perhaps Mezenk would be under a fog. All this had little interest for Caroline, who did not guess the hesitation of her old friend or his qualms of conscience. They traversed a mountain wooded with pines and cut into by a vast glade, the result of an ancient felling of the trees, which opened a gigantic avenue where the road from a distance looked like a highway for a hundred chariots abreast. But when the little carriage had ventured in, it was a frightful task to get over the ground, rain soaked and hollowed out into deep ruts in a thousand places. Further on it was worse still. The turf was strewed with blocks of lava which left boggy places between them, And when they found traces of a traveled road again, they had to turn aside from monstrous piles of flints and pebbles to stop altogether before deep cuts or trenches to seek the old road among twenty others that lost themselves in the morass. The horse performed prodigies of courage and Pechak miracles of skill and judgment. At the expiration of two hours they had accomplished only two leagues and were in open country on an interminable plateau at an elevation of fifteen hundred meters, Except the breaks here and there in the road, nothing could be distinguished. The sun had disappeared. A thick mist enshrouded everything, and nothing can paint the feeling of bitter desolation which fell upon Caroline. Peyrec himself lost courage and kept silence. The obstructed road, which he had been forced to leave one side, did not reappear, and for the last fifteen minutes they had been pacing over a spongy turf, broken up by the hoofs of cattle in search of pasturage, but no longer bearing any traces of wheels. The horse stopped, bathed in sweat. He thus gave warning that he had never been over this ground before. Peyrac alighted, sinking almost knee-deep in the boggy soil, and tried to find where he was. It was out of the question. The mountains and ravines were only one plain of white vapor. Have we lost our way? asked Caroline with cool indifference. At this point, the wind made a little opening in the fog, and they saw in the distance fantastic horizons empurpled by the sun, but the mist closed in again so quickly that Perret could not determine his position from this isolated peak in the distant circle of mountains. However, they heard a confused barking and then voices, though they could not distinguish the dogs till they were quite upon them. These dogs were the advance guard of a caravan of men and mules, carrying vegetables and leather bottles. They were mountaineers who had been down to the plains to exchange the cheese and butter of their cows for the fruits and vegetables of the level country. They accosted Peyrac, who asked information. They told him that he had done very wrong to think of going with a carriage to Estable at this season, that it could not be done, and that he would have to return. Pehlak showed some obstinacy and asked if he was still far from the village. They guided him into the road again, telling him he had worked before him for an hour and a half. But as their animals were loaded and warm and they themselves in haste to arrive, these mountaineers offered no assistance and disappeared with a laugh at their little carriage. Kehlilin saw them rapidly vanish into the fog like shadows. It was absolutely necessary to let the horse breathe, for a fresh effort to regain the solid road had exhausted him. What comforts me, said Peyrac, really moved, is that you don't complain of anything. It is very cold, nevertheless, and I'm sure the dampness has gone through your cloak. Caroline replied only by a shiver. A new shadow had just passed along the side of the road. It was Monsieur de Villemare. He pretended not to see the carriage, although he did see it perfectly— but he chose to seem unconscious that it held any one he knew. He advanced with extraordinary energy, affecting an air of indifference. It is he, I saw him, said Caroline to Pele. He goes wherever we go. We we'll let him go on, and we will turn back. No, I cannot, I will not. He will die after such a walk. He will never reach Estable. Let us follow him. This time, Caroline's terror was so commanding that Peyrac obeyed. They came up with Monsieur de Villemer, who moved aside to let them pass, without stopping or looking up. He would be neither intrusive nor rebellious, but he would know. He would follow to the death. Unfortunately, he was at the end of his strength. The difficulty of this walk, which from L'Entreac had been a continual ascent, and for the last two leagues one chaos of stones and peaty turf, had started on him a profuse perspiration which he could feel freezing in the blast of a sharp wind that had suddenly veered to the east. He lost his breath and was forced to stop. Caroline turned her head toward him and was on the point of crying out. Pérec seized her arm. Courage, my daughter, he said with his stern religious fervor. The Lord requires it at your hands. And she felt herself overborne by the strong faith of the peasant. What do you want to do for him? resumed Pellac as he still drove on. He has had strength to come so far. He will have enough to go the rest of the way. A man does not die from the effects of a walk. He will rest at Estable, and if he is sick, I shall be there. But he is following me. You see, I shall have to speak to him there or elsewhere." Why should he follow you? He does not suspect you are here, even. So many travelers want to see Mesinck. In such weather as this? The sun rose brightly, and we ourselves started to see Mesinck. The Marquis saw Caroline hesitate and submit. This was the final blow. No sooner had he seen himself left behind than he felt he could go no farther. He sank down on a stone, his eyes fixed on the black speck slowly vanishing from his sight, for the wind had risen suddenly and was violently scattering the fog, in whose stead there now came light flurries of snow and sleet. So, she would have me know nothing more of her, said he to himself as he felt his strength failing. She flees from hope. She has lost faith. Then she never loved me, and he lay down to die. End of chapter 24